I'm still trying to learn how to do this again. I tell you what, um, <clears throat> it was, it, I, I had to take a break last week and go hunt moose. So, uh, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and it was good. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> um, had a good week. And we are going to start the book of Revelation today. So, uh, <clears throat> mention a couple of things about the book of Revelation. One, there's no S on the end of it. There is no S. It's not Revelations. It's Revelation. One. one. One vision, one day, one thing that, that God revealed to John. So, so just kind of uh, put that in your brain and, and say it. So if you make it plural, everybody's going to know. They don't even know what the book is. Um, so anyway, one, one revelation, and that's where we're going to be. But I uh, want to mention we have coming up October 20, 22nd and 23rd, our men's advance we have a speaker coming up from Alabama, Phil Winningham. We'll have more on that in the next few days. But anyway, want to, men, you want to sign up for that. It's going to be a good weekend for us. We'll have it out at the lodge. And then the 24th through the 27th, we're going to have a revival here in our church. So we'll, there will be services each evening. We'll have dinner uh, before those. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to what God will do. It's been a while since we've been able to do this. And, and I'm thinking it's going to be a great time for God to work in us and through us. So as we begin into the book of Revelation, um, I want to kind of go in and, and look, kind of coming back to this, I, I, I'd uh, kind of planned on doing this several months ago. So Greg and I had talked a while back and we were talking about it and, and, um, and, and he'd encouraged me, he said, you know, you really should do that. And he said, because people need to know the end, so they'll know how to live in the now, and and I thought, you know, I, I think that's right, and and it's a it's a there's a lot there. It's going to take a while to go through it, but um, I'm not going to get I don't want us to get lost in the weeds as we do that. But but anyway, it's it's something I think that um, it's is really important for us to know is who we are in Christ. So as we come into that, I think it's also a very appropriate thing for us today with with the. Uh, you know, just the circumstances in our country and in our uh, church and, and, and everything going on with that. So as, as we come in and, and look, I mean, I think all of us would say the last 18 months have been really weird, really weird. And, um, and not only have they been weird, there's been other stuff layered on top of that that's made it very um, contentious. So it's, it's an interesting time, it's, it's an interesting place, and, and I think the thing for us to remember as we come into the book of Revelation is that Jesus is on the throne. Our hope is in Him. It's not anywhere else. It's not in America, it's not in a, a, any political party, it's not in the philosophies of men, it's not in our state, it's not in our medical community, it's in Christ. He and He alone is on the throne. And when we get that into our brain, we can go through anything with hope and a future and joy and knowing that that's what Jesus has planned and purposed for us. And that's what the book of Revelation is. It's a book written to a people who are going through very difficult circumstances to tell them, you know what, I have something for you, and I have something for you today, and I want to pull back the curtain and let you see what's really going on. 
So as, as we come in and look at that, um, that's, that's where we have to go. So as, as we've come into there, um, in, in the last 18 months, I mean, I think a lot of people in our country have forgotten that God is sovereign. I think people in our church have forgotten that God's sovereign. I think that we have fallen into hopelessness because we forgot who we are. We forgot who Jesus is, and we forgot that there is absolutely nothing outside of his control. And that's the word of God. He is a sovereign God. Nothing, nothing changes him. Nothing forces him to do anything. Nothing happens that he does not allow to happen. So that's kind of where it is. So as, as we come into this and, and look at this, um, we need to understand that God is not powerless. God is almighty. God is on the throne. And he is going to take us where he chooses for us to be. And we have to return our gaze to the throne room of God. This is what the angel spoke to John on the island of Patmos, he was saying, I want you to go to these seven churches and I want them to refocus their gaze into the throne room of God and to see that he is alive and moving and he is their hope. So if we don't take our gaze to the throne room of God, we're going to lose our ability to worship and to take the gospel to our community and world. So, so this is where we're coming in this. And, and so as we've come through over the last few months, we've, made a, a, we've had to do stuff just ding, 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 ding. And a lot of it we didn't have time to think a whole lot about, to, to figure out, to do. It was on the fly. I mean, when, we, when you know, all the gathering stuff was not happening, we had to make changes technology-wise that, that were just... I mean, fast and rapid. Um, I'm very comfortable with technology. Very, very comfortable with it. And I was way over my head. Greg was over his head. I mean, we, we spent hours, and other people spent hours on this. I mean, Rick came down here and hung cameras and wires and junk and stuff. And, and we had to sit here and try to figure out how do we get sound to work that it'll go through a TV set instead of being in a room. Because, you know, when you're in the room, you, you hear everything that happens. When you try to take this room and put it in a wire, all bets are off. And, and so as we've done through that, we, we had to do some things. One, we got rid of our drum set and we got this junky plastic thing back here. And we had to take our piano and get this thing over here, which is top of the, uh, top of the line. And those are too. But the people who play the drums will tell you this, they're not the same. They don't feel the same. It's not the same thing. The people who play the piano, they'll tell you, you'll never replicate a key that's got a weighted hammer on it striking a string. You can replicate the sounds. You, you can get the sounds. But, but you, can't, you can't do the feel. I mean, the youth, 
the girl, Rebecca, she was like, no, no, really, we're not going to lose the piano, are we? And we're like, yeah, we are. We are. And, and that came um, because we have this live stream thing. We have people in our church who can't come. They can't come. They, they're immun, immunocompromised or whatever it is. You know. Anyway, they're not coming. They're not going anywhere. And, and they're waiting, and, and that's fine. You know, we have a responsibility. We're a family. We have a responsibility to care for them. Um, and, and so we've done that. The piano wasn't just with that. It was, it was hard to keep it tuned. Uh, this room is horrible for climate control. I had a guitar explode in here 20 years ago. Uh, just, I mean, just literally the bridge popped off everything. It was, it was horrible. It, it'll never, it will never work again. Um, but that's what it does to wood. Alaska's hard on wood. Um, but anyway, you know, we've done that and we've gone, we've, we've made tons and tons of changes and lots of people have done that. And, And it was all so that we could do this thing, this live stream. And, and to be honest with you, it's not church. It's not church. And, you know, if you're watching the live stream today and you could be here, I mean, you, you're, you're fine going other places, doing other things. You should be in church. I love you. I'm your pastor, and you should be in church. You. Um, <clears throat> you guys are in here. But God didn't intend us to do this alone. He didn't intend us to do it from our couch in our pajamas with a cup of coffee. Um, we are meant to be in community with one another. We are meant to be a part of one another's lives, to encourage one another, to, to see one another, to be face-to-face. That's how God made us and created us. But for those who are unable to come, we want to do everything we can for you. I mean, we also understand that. And, and, and we want to know, we want everybody in our congregation to know that they're loved. And, and so we've made a lot of changes. we spend a lot of time talking about it, the deacons, the staff, and, and coming in and saying, you know, these are the things that, that we have to do to be able to make these things happen. So that's, that's where it is, and um, just is. So as, as we've made them and, and the changes, that's, that's happened. Then Greg, you know, in, in the process of all of this, he uh, has gone to another church, and, and that was a thing that had been kind of in the hopper for a little while. And, and um, as God led him through that process, and, and um, for us, it's something that um, is major change. It's major change for us. And it's a major void. There's no way of getting around that. Um, Greg was my next-door neighbor. He's a very good friend of mine. Um, also, a phenomenal co-worker. Never had anybody better. Um, but you know what? It was time. God had called him somewhere. And you and all of us, we have been a part of shaping him and helping him to grow and to mature and to be trained and everything else to go and to do what he's going to do. And I'm excited to hear what God does through him as he goes to another church. And, and our church is a part of that. And you know what? It's, it's never been about us. It's always been about the kingdom of God because Jesus is on the throne. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. We're waiting to see. No rush. But eventually we'll um, do something there. But that's where we are right now. In the meantime, Amy's been coordinating our music, doing a great job. And, and um, you'll see some different people lead here and there. But, but um, 
that's where we are, and I'm excited. I'm excited about what God's going to do. And I don't know about you, but seeing the youth lead our worship, worship service, I can't think of anything better. Amen. I mean, that is exciting because they are the next generation. They are the ones who will come when we're gone and take the word of God to the next generation after them. They'll, they'll do that. Um, just kind of as we, we come into this, I had lunch with Chuck Turner this week. And uh, Chuck's been a friend of mine for 24 years. I don't know, a long time. He came here in 97. And, uh, and, and he was old then. And, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, and I, I say that, you know, you laugh. We're, we're still friends. And, uh, but, uh, but he told me, he said, you know, he said, Taco and I went out to lunch when we first started coming to this church. And she looked at me and she said, you know what, you're the third oldest man in this church. And he said, I was like, thank you for that. And I'm sure he'll tell me thank you after the church. And he can tell me thank you now. It's fine. Um, um, but, uh, but he said, you know, I'm the third oldest guy now. And he's in his 80s. And I say that to say our church is aged. I was young when I came here, and I'm not young anymore. Um, and the kids who have been born here while I'm here, they're grown and married and that is something that that as we come God has blessed us now we are a multi-generational church and God intends for us to be that there's everything right about it that's scriptural the scriptures say one generation will declare your praises to the next they will make your glory known to the next they will raise up the next they will pass along the great truths of God's word to the next. That's who we are. That's what we've got to give. That's the purpose of it all. So Chuck, he, he's a great guy. Um, in, in all honesty, a very dear friend, as are all the old guys here. Um, and he gave me some great advice, and I took his great advice. And, and, um, and I appreciate him. And, um, <clears throat> you know, we've aged. And it's imperative. It's imperative that we reach another generation and that we train that generation to take the reins. That we train them and we pass it off to them. And that means that we're not always going to like everything, but we're family, and we love each other. That's who we are, and that's why we're here. Last Sunday, I sat next next to my wife, my grandson. My father-in-law, who's 88, my daughter, and my son-in-law. That's what matters to me. You want to know what matters? That's it. And I'll go all in for that. I'll go all in for that. 
seeing our families worship together, seeing these children come to know Christ and to own their faith and then to express their faith up here, out there, and in our community. That's what Christ has called us to. He's on the throne. He's in control. There ain't nothing happening that He is not sovereign over. And we need to understand who we are. We are here today and gone tomorrow. Our lives are a vapor. They're a mist. And the only thing that we leave behind is the faith of our fathers that they pass down to us, that we express today, that will look different. This is what John is coming to in Revelation 1, 1 through 8. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the world, to the word of God, God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom of priests, to God his Father, God and to his God and Father, and to him glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So as we come into this, we need to set this up and understand this is what's happening in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation was written about A.D. 96. In, in 96 A.D., after, um, after the church has begun about 60 years prior, we see Jesus sending a letter to the seven churches in Asia Minor. So as, as he writes this letter, the book of Revelation is a letter written to seven churches. So these seven churches um, were experiencing serious persecution for their faith. Look, their world was way, way, way different than ours. In A.D. 60, Nero, or 65 A.D., Nero begins persecuting the church. In 67, Vespasian will follow him. He'll dip Christians in oil and light them on fire and stick them on sticks to light the streets. Pretty nasty. They were imprisoned. They were brutalized. They were fed to the animals in the Colosseum. In A.D. 70, Jerusalem was leveled, burned, destroyed. The temple was gone. Peter, Paul, and Timothy were publicly executed. 
And then it goes on. In 92, Domitian becomes the emperor of Rome. And he had a God complex. He decided that he was God and everybody would worship him. And if you didn't come to the temple and take the incense and drop it over the fire and proclaim Caesar is Lord, there were serious consequences. That's pretty hard, isn't it? You know? We never had to uh, go, uh, Trump is God. Biden is God. I don't think any of us could swallow either one of those, could we? But that's where it landed. So these people have, <clears throat> have done this, and, and they were expected to live this way. Laws were set up that any Christian who went to court and didn't proclaim Caesar as Lord would receive the fullest sentence possible. It was an extremely difficult time for the church. It was an extremely diff difficult time to be a Christian. And in all of that, in all of that, you basically have people who they've never known anything but that. If you're 30 years old, you were born into it. That's what you thought it meant to be a Christian. Way different from my world today. So, <clears throat> the church, in the middle of all this, receives this word from God, this letter from God. And <clears throat> he draws back the curtain to show them the throne room, the battle, the victory, that God is in control. To encourage them and to prepare them for the future. And you know what's really funny? 230 years later, you know what the majority of religion is in Rome? Christianity. Christianity. Why? Because God is on the throne, not Caesar. God is sovereign, not Caesar. And that's where it all goes. So there, there are three things I want to look at real quickly in here. And... Um, <clears throat> And you're thinking, man, he's worse than Greg today. He's not even to the first point and it's time to quit. Um, you know, Greg at least got through the first point at quitting time. I, look, we'll make all three of them, no sweat. Um, and, uh, but, uh, but there it is. And, and, and maybe I'll throw some big words in there to go. Um, but uh, the first thing is God's sovereign. We've talked about this. This is a theme of the book. The theme of the book, the theme of this letter is that God is sovereign. He is sovereign. In verses 1 through 3, we see this. <clears throat> this message goes from God to Jesus to the angel to John to the churches. You notice the order? God. God. God the Father. God the Son. To the Spirit. 
to the churches. There it goes. And, and that's the way that it's going because God is orchestrating everything. He's sovereign and the Son and the Father, they always work in tandem. This is, this is it throughout the New Testament. You see that the Father and the Son work together. The Son watches the Father. The Son obeys the Father. The Son yields to the Father. The Son glorifies the Father. The Son does this and, and they are both God. They are also Father and Son. In John 5.19, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son, that the Son does likewise. Jesus said, the Father and I, we're one. We're the same. You see, John received the message from the angel to pass on, and he's the one who sees the vision of the consummation of the kingdom of God. So revelation, really, the word means it's apocalypsis, and, and, and we get our word apocalypse from that. And it's not like the zombie apocalypse. It's not that kind of apocalypse. It's, it's an unveiling. It's a revealing. It's a pulling. It literally means to unveil, to pull back the curtain, to see what really is real to see what is there. And this is what he's doing, and he's doing it to show John and us today that God is at work. He's working in us, and he's working around us. He's in our midst, and we're going to see that in the coming chapters. He not only redeems us, but he restores us to what he created us to be. And the blessing is to those who hear and obey. So as we come in, this letter, we have to understand it, it was written to people 2,000 years ago. It's not written to people sometime in the future to figure out, is this the tribulation or whatever. That's not the purpose of it. The purpose was written to someone. When I was probably about 11 or 12 years old, my dad taught me how to change oil in a car. You know, and, and pretty much whenever he was working on stuff, he took me with him and I helped him. I held the pipe when he was soldering it, or I helped him hold the wires, or he showed me how to do things. And, and so <clears throat> I did all of this, and I just thought, that well, that's what you do. Boys help their dad. And, and so if he had to go work on something, if he's going to work on somebody's stuff for him or whatever, he took me with him. I crawled in the basement with him, you know, the crawl space in the house, whatever it was. And, and I learned how to do that stuff. And he taught that stuff to me and and he <clears throat> taught it to me for a purpose and he taught me how to change oil not so that I would be able to change oil when I was an adult somewhere down in the future he taught me so that I could change it six months from then and he didn't have to do it <laughs> he was a smart guy and that's the way it worked I got a little bit older and my dad said hey the car needs the oil changed in it tonight I said, okay. And I go out there and do it. He didn't have to watch over me or anything else. If I had a problem, I'd go talk to him and he'd explain it to me and probably laugh. You go, well, what are you thinking? And, and we go on. But, but, you know, that's just the way it was. And, and he did that. And <clears throat> it's the same thing here. When, when, when God's speaking to these churches, he's speaking to them for the immediate, but also for the future. Because you see, I do still have that skill. I tried to pass it to my daughters, but yeah. You know, um, I, I finally realized girls are not the same. 
um, I knew they weren't the same a long time ago. I mean, but I mean, I really realized that, um, you know, it's just a little different world. But, um, <clears throat> but anyway, that's where it is, see? And, and so the blessing is to those who hear and obey. It was a blessing to them who hear and obey back then. It's a blessing to us when we hear and obey today. In James 1.22, James put it this way, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Um, James just said, you know what? Don't just listen to it. Do it. Live it. Be it. You see, what happened in Eden is not going to be forever. It's not going to be forever. God will restore his people and he will redeem us from this broken world and restore us to what he created us to be. That's the promise. The promise of this book is that everything that, that got messed up in the beginning is going to be brought back to what God created it to be. The next thing is that God engages us. He engages us. He reaches out to us. He involves himself in this world. He's not letting the world spin uncontrollably. Every evil act of Satan in the letter, every evil act that we see in this letter is overcome by the Lamb. Every last one. The Lamb becomes the lion who reigns forever. God's constantly engaging his people. He's sending a message to the churches in Asia Minor. And these are the recipients of this unveiling. It's, it's these seven churches. And in the middle of difficult times, God's saying, Jesus is among you. He's walking among you. He's there in your church. He's not looking down on you. He's with you. He's present. He's real. He's the lamb that's been slain for the sins of the world. It says that, Behold, he is coming, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. In Zechariah 12.10, Zechariah wrote, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. You see, Jesus came and he's freed us from our sin by his blood shed on the cross like we just sang in that last song. He's the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist put it this way. It said, The next day he saw Jesus in John 1.29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So not only is God sovereign, he engages us. And the final thing in verse 4 and 8 is God's eternal. He's eternal. He's without, he is without beginning or end. He is the God... It says, He is the God who was, who is, and who is to come. We see it in verse 4. It says, Grace and peace to you from Him who is, and who was, and who is to come. In verse 8, He says, I am the Alpha, Alpha and the Omega. 
who is and who was and who is to come. <clears throat> so this also goes back to his sovereignty. It goes back to the fact that, that the statement reminds us that God is behind all things. He's behind all things. He is in all things, and he is ahead of all things. There are no others. He alone is God. There are no other gods. He alone is God. In John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word... <clears throat> that yeah, I'm jumping out of verse 14. We won't go there. But in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It sounds very familiar to what John writes in Revelation, who was and is and is to come. Isaiah 44, 6, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. There is no God. So as we come into there, there it is. He is the eternal God. He's fully in control of all things. As we come into this book, as we come into our um, week, as you go ahead, and, and everything that comes your way, you, you've got to come in and filter everything through this, that God is eternal, and He is fully sovereign. He is over all things. He's not the cause of evil. He doesn't cause evil. He doesn't bring evil on us. We're suffering. But sin and its effects cause us pain. They cause us hurt. They cause us harm. They cause us hardship. And He allowed us to sin. He allowed us to choose that. He allowed us to rebel against Him. He gave us that opportunity. We chose it. And we're living in it. But he will not allow it to overcome his ultimate purpose. He will not allow my sin to do that. He will not allow your sin to do that. He will not allow that to happen. Nobody will overcome the plans and purposes of God. God alone is sovereign and he has a plan. And <clears throat> we see things in this very, very limited space. Just to put it in perspective, when John wrote this, he said, the end is near. Look, this is 2,000 years later. I don't think he thought the end was going to be 2,000 years from now. I think he thought it was going to be really soon. And, and I think that, that that warning tells us we need to live our lives today like they lived them then, thinking it could be tomorrow. It could be tonight. It could be this afternoon. It could be before I'm done. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> it's like, yes, finally! No, I mean, that, that's where it is. <clears throat> you see, we see things in, in this very, very short window of time, but God sees things through the lens of eternity. And, and we look at it, and, and we'll come in as we look through the book, and we'll see, you know, we'll see those who've been martyred for their faith saying, God, how long are you going to wait? How long? And he says, just a little bit longer. Just a little bit longer. Because the scripture tells that God is patient. He's loving. He doesn't want people to be destroyed. He wants them to turn to him. He wants them to receive forgiveness. He wants them to repent and know him. That's the desire of the heart. That's the heart of God. I mean, otherwise he would have just squashed it like a bug to begin with, right? 
But instead, He's working to draw us to Him. God sees things through the lens of eternity. We see it through the lens of a century. Adam chose to rebel against God. But the revelation unveils God's work to redeem and restore us back to the garden. That's where it all lands. It all lands back where it all starts. We can trust God. We can share Him with others so that they can experience the hope of Jesus. And the thing that should keep us awake at night isn't the stuff that's going on around us. It's the fact that the people around us that we know and love, the people we work with, we, we mingle with in town and everything else that are apart from Christ are heading headlong into a Christless eternity without Him. That should keep us awake at night. That should be on the forefront of our mind. That should be the thing that drives us, that we pray for them, that they'll experience the hope of Jesus, that they'll know Him, that they'll understand that there's a God in heaven who made them in His image, who loves them, who desires for them to know Him. And that all of the pain and hardship of this world and, and, and everything that we've suffered, that one day, here's what God says, Behold, I make all things new. Here's what He's saying in Revelation 20, 21, 5, And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. That's the promise of God. That's the hope. That's what we're going to look at as we go through this all is to see that in everything going on, we have hope. And that hope is found in Jesus. And we have a purpose. And that purpose is to know Him and to bring glory to His name and, and to take that and to pass it on to another generation. And I look forward to that. I look forward to that here in this church. I look forward to it as I finish out my course that God has given me. And I know that there are many others who do. And those of you who are young, you're thinking, yeah, you're just an old guy. Well, look, I want to tell you something. One day you'll be just like me. You'll be sitting down to lunch with me 25 years from now thinking, yeah, he's still old. <laughs> and you're right. But that's good. And, and we'll be friends and, and it's all good. And, and that's the thing about it. I'll tell you what. God made us to be together. And he's given us young people, he's given us old people, and it's a great thing. And I'll say one thing, there's not a person I could depend on more than Chuck Turner. We disagree sometimes, but we know we're in each other's corner. And that's what it means to be in a church family for all of us. We may not like everything, it may not always be the way we want it, but we're a family. You know, you ever go to Thanksgiving dinner? Yeah, we all do that, right? Go to Thanksgiving dinner and you sit down at the table. And, and you know, some of you, you're just kind of like this, but you want to eat some of everything. But there's some of us, we look at stuff and go, there's no way that's going on my plate. 
And <clears throat> for years, it was cranberry sauce for me. I despise that jelly stuff that comes out of a can. Now, if it's homemade, it's okay. But, uh, but many years ago, we were sitting at the table with Dale and Pat Coughlin and their family having dinner. And uh, my wife loves cranberry sauce, and I don't like it at all. And she said, here, honey, have some of this. It's delicious. And Dale, would you like some? Dale said, no, I don't care for it. I don't like it. And I was like, neither do I. <laughs> Thank you for saving my bacon, Dale Coughlin. Because I was going to have to choke this stuff down. But you know, it's okay, right? It's really okay. It's okay. It's okay that we don't like everything that's laid on the table. What matters is, is there is something for us on the table. And the one thing that we all, we all love and desire is Jesus in His Word, in His presence, in the hope. And look, that's what I'm about. That's what I'm about. That's what we're about. That's, that's the thing that drives, drives it all. That's the deal. Is, is it always perfect? Nah. But you know what? It's always good. It's always good. God has a plan and a purpose for us. He's given it to us in His Word. He showed us from the beginning to the end. And the amazing part is, at the end of it all, He shows us, you know what? The way it started is where it's going to land. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. A new Jerusalem coming down out of the clouds. There'll be no more weeping or mourning. There'll be no more sickness or death. There'll be no more pain. There won't be a sun in the sky to light it because the Son of God will light it for eternity. That's the hope. That's the hope that we have. It's not the stuff in the here and now. It's that He's with us here and now and that He promises to restore us to what He made us to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you because you and you alone are worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. Father, we praise you for the church family that you've given to us, for the opportunity that we have to know you and to serve you. Father, for the hope, for the hope of eternity in your presence. Father, we pray now that we would turn our hearts to you, that we would experience you in all of your fullness and grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this morning, as, as we wrap it up, as, as these guys lead us here, I ask you a simple question. Do you know Jesus? I mean, have you come to that point where you have said clearly to him, I've recognized my sin. I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge that I've rebelled against you. I'm asking your forgiveness, and I'm giving my life to you unconditionally, no strings attached. I want you to be my Lord. Jesus is Lord. Not this world, but Jesus is my Lord, and I will follow him and trust him knowing that he is the God who is in control of all things. When you come to that point, here's what he says. He says, I will, I will receive you. I will not turn you away. 
I will take you and I will make you new. I will forgive your sins, past, present, and future. I will bring you into my presence in eternity. You will be my child forever. No one can take that away from you. It's not something you own. It's something that Jesus accomplished for us. It's a gift from God, the hope of the ages, and it's the promise that he's showing us in this word. If you've never done that this morning, I want to invite you to do something really simple. You pray that right now where you are. You can, when we stand up, you can come down here and say, look, will you pray with me? I'd love to do that. The most important decision you'll ever make in your life. It's the only decision in your life that matters. It's the only one that matters. If you don't make this one, the rest of it's all for naught. And when you do, here's what will happen. Your sin will all be placed on him and his righteousness will all be placed on you. And you'll be eternally his forever, never to be taken away. So we're going to stand up. You can come down here. I'll pray with you. You know, somebody in the room, you can get to pray with you. But whatever it is, don't leave here today without making that decision and making it known.